You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Last week, we looked very briefly at Ecclesiastes from beginning to end and heard about what we will see in the text. And so we read the final words of Ecclesiastes to find what the purpose of this book was. What it was that the teacher wanted us to take away from his writing. And here's what we read. That after you have heard everything the teacher has to say, here is what you should keep in mind. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. As we also heard last week, this could sound like a very frightening situation. Except for, Paul, in Romans 8, reminds us that this final judgment is a good day for us in Christ. Because in Christ, we have feared God and the commandments have been kept on our behalf perfectly by our Savior. Paul continues by saying, If God is for for us, who can be against us? All the groaning that the teacher is going to echo to us is handled by God, and we have the perfect guarantee and promise that we are adopted, justified, and will be glorified on Judgment Day when Jesus judges everyone according to their deeds. We are secure because of the foolish wisdom of God in Christ, who took our sin and futility to the cross and gave us victory in a world that can look like a lost cause. So where should we go from there? Well, there are three large themes and a lot of smaller ones that we said we would focus on. The three big ones were death, time, and fate. Three cruel forces that, when looked at from the human perspective, can make everything seem like smoke. They all three grind us down into nothing in the end and make things seem futile, meaningless, and vain, like smoke or chasing after the wind. We're going to see a little bit of each of these things this week in our text. We're going to be ending chapter 1, going through chapter 2. So let's see what the text holds for us this week. I'm going to start by reading from chapter 1, verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in ages before us. There is no remembrance of those those who came before and of those who will come after. There will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. We read parts of chapter 1 last week, and these final verses finish off the idea 
that everything just keeps going on and on. Really, that your time is short, and yet time itself marches forward, no matter what. It goes on generation after generation without you or a remembrance of you. And this pattern is just like the natural world, that, like a river that keeps pumping to the ocean, and yet the ocean never gets full. Things just keep going. Chapter 1, verse 12 I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. One commentator I was reading summarized Ecclesiastes like this. I've seen it all, and I'm not impressed. <laughs> but there's two things here in these uh, verses 12 through 14 that we need to comment on. First is the phrase that the teacher is going to keep using over and over again, and that is, under the sun. These are the words that the author is using to talk about life without God's perspective on things. So many times we give purpose to actions in the world, things that happen around us, and claim that God did this thing or that thing for such and such a reason. And most of the time we speak in total ignorance. In a nearly more gentle way, <laughs> we simply don't know what we're talking about. And second, your translation might say bad business. What is this bad business or this miserable task that God has given to us to keep us occupied? Is it our, our jobs? Well, not necessarily, though it may be connected to that for you. It is the daily struggle and pain that we all experience and face in our own ways. In light of the daily struggle of life and just making it through, the teacher says that God might as well have given us the task of chasing the wind. And he backs that up with two lines of simple poetry. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. He is telling us that the ways of God do not go in a straight line for us. That is, it doesn't make sense. The world itself seems to be going along to a scheme that just when we think we've got it sorted or we listen to someone that says this is how the world works, then everything seems to fall apart. Really, COVID, coronavirus, right? Is, there's no better picture than this pandemic for us. So many people were ready to jump into 2020, like me, like you. And then all of a sudden, oh wait, I don't have a grasp on anything that's going on in the world. And even now, everyone is just trying to figure out a way to, to overcome this thing that cannot be overcome. As one of my kids' favorite children's book goes, we can't go over it, and we can't go under it. We've got to go through it. Verse 16, I said to myself, see, I have amassed, that is, I have 
piled on top of of everything <laughs> over and over again. Wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. And at the end of chapter 1, here we have kind of a, a sad whimper that things are ending on. Oh, you want wisdom? Do you want to know what comes with that? Says the teacher. My favorite kind of uh, fiction writing is something called crime noir, or dark crime. Uh, old novels, especially. And in these stories, you always have a private investigator who has seen it all and knows too much about the wicked ways of the world and the wicked ways of men and crime. And women. You're not left out. <laughs> the detective, in this case, is usually wise. And he knows who is who in the investigation and what people are going to do. He understands people. And frankly, this makes him a miserable person. Because he knows the ugliness that lies inside of each person that is involved in each investigation. It's a wisdom that he has. It's a knowledge that he has. And the more that he knows, the greater his grief grows, the darker his outlook on the world becomes. You may know that kind of grief. Should we just give up? Give in to the world? Or is there another option? We should wait to find out. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasures. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter. It is madness. And about pleasure. What does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pole of wine on the body. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. And how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under, under heaven during the few days of their lives. In short, the teacher is saying, Look, I did everything to try to please myself and live for myself. Entertainment, alcohol, accomplishments. It didn't work. It was all futile. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of, flower, of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I owned livestock, large herds, and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself, and many concubines, the delights of men. So, I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. 
all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, living for his own success and reputation did not work. Verse 12 of chapter 2, Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? That is, the person that comes after the king. He will do what has already been done. And I realized that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Okay, great. This makes sense to us, right? And we learn this from Proverbs. If you're a fool, if you act foolishly, this is not a good idea. And if you act wisely, that is a good idea. Yet, the teacher continues, I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise. Since in the days to come both will be forgotten, how is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. The teacher asks a good question here. If I'm going to die, and a fool is going to die, and wisdom brings grief, then is it even worth the hassle? Well, he continues in verse 18. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun, because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. And this too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. So again, right, he's saying under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. This is acknowledging that he's looking at it from a very human perspective. Not that God isn't in the picture at all, but he's looking at it simply from what he can do for himself. Verse 21, when there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. He was so into his work that he couldn't sleep. Everything was all about his work. And yet, he was going to have to 
maybe pass it on to someone that has no idea what they're doing, <laughs> who's foolish and is going to squander it all and make his reputation go bad after he's dead. Verse 24. Which this may seem like a strange conclusion, but let's hear him out. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? And this is where the teacher gets down to the heart of it. Can we really say there's nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and enjoy his work? But the teacher says, this is from the hand of God. So he's no longer saying under the sun. He's now seeing it from God's perspective. Or rather, he's, he's seeing things for what they really are. That everything is a good gift from God to you. And he asks a question here for the sake of argument. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from that person who sees things as being from God's hand? Verse 26, For the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Alright, so for, for the person who is seeking after God, seeking to know who God is, seeking to see God's work in the world, um, the person that is pleasing in God's sight, that is, the person that relies on God. God gives him wisdom and knowledge and joy for what purpose? To see what it is that God is doing for him. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating, that is, building up, in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This, too, is futile in a pursuit of the wind. The teacher here lays out two options for us. Are you going to be the person that sees things as gifts from God's hand? Or are you going to be the person who builds up everything, dies, leaves it all behind, and then eventually it gets redistributed? And some of those people <laughs> are going to be people that view this as a good gift coming from God's hand. And they can simply sit back and they can eat and drink and they can enjoy the work that has been laid out in front of them. It is in these final verses that we find the source of our big idea for today. Struggling toward anything that is not God or given to you by God is worthless. And in Jesus, you have worth and your life is worthwhile. Here the teacher is telling us that we can strive all we want to. But unless our striving is done under God's direction, then our striving will leave us empty. It will leave us as empty as all the verses that came before this. The way that the author was not only feeling, but, but deeply experiencing life as being completely empty. And so the teacher is encouraging us to look around. Look around and see whatever it is that you have and recognize that it is a 
good gift given to you by God to be enjoyed. Now, if you cannot or will not see the things that you have as gifts, then they will never be properly enjoyed the way that God intended for you to enjoy them. They will always be something that you are working for, whether it's a new television or a new phone or a new pair of shoes or a new car or a new job or whatever the case may be. It doesn't mean that you can't go out and work for those things, <laughs> okay? Those aren't necessarily bad things. And yet, you have to understand that even in the process of working towards those things, they are given to you. They are given into your hands by God for a reason. So that you would put them in their proper place and that you would put God in his proper place. And then those things can be enjoyed in the way that they should be. The teacher here even goes so far as to say that the understanding of good things being from God is a gift. And those who don't understand have refused to receive that gift of knowledge and understanding and wisdom from God. There's a lot of places in the New Testament that we could go to look at uh, what a good gift from God looks like. But I want to take us now to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, in these first three verses, we see very clearly that person who is full of, of folly and ignorance that the teacher in Ecclesiastes is telling us about. That is the perfect example of the person who doesn't understand the things that they have in their life as being good gifts from God. In verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, But God. So in the face of all of this, in the face of our ignorance, in the face of our sins, in the face of our trying to ignore God, but God, being rich in mercy, that is uh, something that we did not deserve, okay, God being merciful, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, something that you have done, so that no one can boast. You didn't get the grace yourself. You didn't get the faith yourself. It was gifted to you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christian, this is good news. Because not only do we see here that we were once totally sinful and wrathful and unappreciative towards God for anything, but now he has actually made us who we need to be. He has saved us and he has given us his son. And not only that, he has, he has made us his workmanship and he has given us good works to do. He laid them out for us so that we can do them. This is the beauty of what the writer in Ecclesiastes is telling us. There's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. What is our work? Good work laid out by God for us. <laughs> I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Christian, we can't. We can't enjoy life apart from him. There's no, the, there's no way that we could. And so God made it possible for us to enjoy life with him. Struggling toward anything that is not God or given to you by God is worthless. But in Jesus, you have worth and your life is worthwhile. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.